You have one old message. To hear this message, press one. Pain begets joy. Fear begets void. Hello, detective. I'm calling to give you your first warning. Stop investigating Alaska's death. To you, this is an issue of a paycheck. And I understand that. And it'll help your parents. But to me, this is very, very personal. If you pursue this issue further, I will destroy your career, and I will go after your parents. I will put all of my energy into making you understand your mistake. I know where you live. I know where they live. I know where you live. I know where they live. I know where you live. I know where they live. I know where you live. Okay. There you go, so I'm being threatened. My name is Detective Denver, and I'm the private investigator who's been working on Alaska Curtis's murder case. A couple of days ago, while I was sitting in my living room in my footy pajamas, I checked my voicemail, and I heard that. I'm not especially worried about it, and the police are keeping a watch over my parents. But whoever killed Alaska has their eye on me and my footy pajamas. Speaking of which, I hear Boo Curtis started a podcast. <laughs> you see what I did there? I hear he's 20 years old now. I hear he's a watercolor artist. I hear he always keeps his face covered. That he's an oversharer. That he's both quiet and loud at once. Boo Curtis has started a podcast about his brother's death. About the death of Alaska Curtis. He has no license for it. He didn't go to school for it. But he plans to investigate. People say he has a savior complex. But I wonder if you can even call it a savior complex if it's your own brother. If you just miss him and can't stop. I've never met Boo Curtis. It's all just a second-hand story. Sometimes when I get home, I get caught in the doorway, stuck looking in. I think about how I'm everybody's stranger. I live in a house under the train tracks, and I get there by night. I step in and it smells like a forest, and the house is familiar only to me. Alaska Curtis has never heard my name. Welcome to the Detective Files. Welcome to the truth. 
Today's Thursday, August 5th, 2021. Boost finished up his episode early, so I've had the chance to hear his episode already. We're dealing with a cold case homicide. Our story begins two years ago in the summer of 2019. Alaska Curtis, a charming, bleach-blonde 19-year-old, lives in Roslyn, a wealthy suburb of Long Island. Around here, most teens his age are off to college, making friends and clubbing. But Alaska, young and charming Alaska, is jobless, alone, and living out of his car. Every day he parks in front of many mansions with manicured lawns. He parks out back of Italian restaurants. He dodges the valets, and he's constantly taken in by police on charges of loitering. In his jail cell, Alaska must have thought back to his glory days. Back at Holy Cross High School, he was loved by everybody. Popular with the girls, idolized by the guys. He struggled with grades, but he got on by with a smile and a good excuse. Even the teachers loved him. But at 19 years old, Alaska's been left behind, stranded in Roslyn Heights. For a time, Alaska was surfing couches, moving from one friend's house to another. But by now, everyone is sick of Alaska Curtis. By all accounts, he's a horrible house guest. He flirts with every woman and girl on two legs, and he throws house parties for high schoolers, for children, as if he's still trying to live out his high school glory days. Now, Alaska Curtis is so universally hated. Anyone could be wishing for his death. It's during the period of Alaska's homelessness that he's murdered by an unknown assailant in celebration of his 20th birthday. Alaska and others meet up in the woods for a night of drinking. By the end of the night, Alaska leaves on a stretcher, unconscious, with a stab wound deep in his colon. He died later that night in the hospital due to complications. How did it happen? Who did it? Alaska was unpopular. He invited huge numbers of people, but close to nobody came. So only seven people were at the party. One of them was Alaska. Officials have ruled out a suicide, so that leaves six suspects, all former classmates at Holy Cross High School, a Catholic school in Roslyn Estates. Five of the suspects were attending Holy Cross at the time of the killing. And then there's our final suspect, Glory Johnson, who had graduated the same year as Alaska. Glory has not been seen since the night of the murder. I've been commissioned to solve Alaska's homicide, but if I'm able, I'll fully intend to find out what happened to Glory Johnson. Glory might have been a second victim to the same perpetrator. Now, let's get specific. The perpetrator was using a cheap knife with basically a cheap plastic handle. Okay, here's something you probably don't know about stabbings. If you go at someone and stab them with a kitchen knife or a cheap knife, you're gonna get injured. And that's just physics. The knife meets too much resistance in the human body, but you keep moving. Your hand slips along the blade, and then your skin gets cut open. Since the perpetrator stabbed with a cheap gag knife with a plastic handle, the knife had no safety measures. It wouldn't stop the perp from cutting their hand. So that leaves us with an easy question. 
Did anybody have a cut up pan the night Alaska died? That is something we're gonna have to find out. At the start of every day, I remind myself that today could be difficult. Today could be trying. And I'm prepared to be scared and overwhelmed. Everything is always worth a try. And a try is worth your confidence. My first stop is to meet with a certain inside source, a member of the Nassau County Police. For their privacy and safety, we'll be calling my source Officer Shea. Officer Shea has worked for years on the Nassau County Police Force. They've been inside the system, and when they climbed the ranks, they didn't like what they saw. A corrupt and unequal workforce with fantasies of violent heroism. Now Shea is planning on turning in their badge and leaving the force behind. But before they leave, they're doing some damage where they can. By leaking police failures and otherwise exposing faults in the system. Knowing this, I contacted Shea and I asked them to look into Alaska's case for me. We wanted to figure out why Alaska's murder was never solved by police in the first place. This is sensitive information, so if Shea gets caught, there'll be a prison sentence waiting for them. That's right, I did find the case file. I found it, it was never digitized. It was found incorrectly and there were pages missing, but I fucking found it. That's Shay. Their voice will be disguised to keep their anonymity. Nothing about this case was handled with correct procedure. So, first of all, there are very few photos of the scene. Second of all, there are no photos of the suspects. And then, Alaska had alcohol and opium in his system when he was found, but nobody tested the suspects for drugs, and that should have been basic protocol. That's a long list of failures on the part of the police. Everything is just lazy, stupid, or more lazy. Shay tells me that it's common in homicide cases to go cold. In 2019, about 70% of U.S. homicides went unsolved. However... Alaska's case was unusual. It's really a small list of suspects, and it's guaranteed one of them. They should have gone further with the case, but then if the case gets buried and then something happens, like it gets misfiled, it's just about how long the case is in Newsday, and after that, people don't care. But this case should have been handled. There were six suspects, and no one else had the geographic ability to do it. In short, the police didn't follow procedure correctly, and then they didn't follow up on the case. So did the police even check the suspect for cuts across their hands? I haven't seen anything about whose hands were cut. I'm still looking for the missing papers or anything else that might be relevant. I'll see what I can do about the cut hands. Shay won't be able to help us yet unless they find more of the missing file. But there's someone else who can help us. It's time to meet one of the suspects. Suspect 5, Josephine Magaro, or Joe for short. Female, 5 feet, 6 inches, 179 pounds. People say she can pack a punch. She's the only female firefighter at the Rosalind Highfields Fire Department. In high school, she was said to be bold, funny, and charismatic. Hey, my name is Joe. I'm just hanging out, putting out a fire. She was also a lot of trouble. Bitch! You look so dumb right now! You just got caught! So, if I'm in love with my priest, and I'm not saying I am, how do I romance a man of the Lord? Can I toast some love poems on the sacramental bread? What are my possible strategies here? Joe is the only suspect with an arrest record. In 2018, she was arrested for possessing 0.5 kilos of cocaine in her book bag. Joe was 16 at the time. 
She was released scot-free with no charges despite all evidence that she was dealing. Two weeks later, Joe's father, Romeo Magaro, made a sizable donation to the Roslyn Police Department. On Long Island, more than anywhere else, it pays to be wealthy. If you're as wealthy as the Magaros. I arrive at the Magara household at 3.18 p.m. I have a clear goal in my mind, to interview Joe Magaro and find out if she or anyone else had a split open hand after Alaska's death. But as I'm walking up to the property, I realize there's a party going on. So I look down and the suit I'm wearing could for sure seem a little uncool at a cool party. So I go to loosen my tie a bit and I undo my top button. I do three calming breathing exercises and my regular pre-yoga stretches. I remind myself that today could be difficult. Today could be trying. And I'm prepared to be scared and overwhelmed. Everything is always worth a try and a try is worth your confidence. Let's go. I guess I'm supposed to go in the back. Uh... I barely walk a few steps before he stops me. Hey, excuse me. Romeo Magaro, Joe's father. Can I help you? Romeo Magaro, right? Who are you? What's up, sir? My name is... I'm... My name... Finn Denver? I'd like to speak to your daughter. Is there something I can help you with? Uh, yeah. Joe isn't in trouble. She was just a witness to Alaska Curtis's murder, and... I wanted to ask her a few questions if she knew anything. I thought Alaska Curtis died two years ago. Her parents are reopening the case. I'm private sector. I'm not with the police. Hey, that's great news. Good for them. All right, well... I'm gonna go back to flipping these burgers if that's all right with you. One of the boys at the Highfield Fire Department, yeah, he got engaged this week and we're celebrating. I gotta treat these boys at a time like this. I'm like their second dad, you know? Wow, that's like yeah, you super should great. Yeah, for a little while. Yeah, grab a beer, stay a while. What? You can get to know the boys. These are the firefighters that keep Rosalind running. Oh. I'm just gonna go get everybody fed. After that, I'll get Joe for you. Oh, okay. And then I drink. I drink a little too much. I watch Romeo flip burgers from a distance, and there isn't a lot to do except drink. Where the heck is Joe? At this point, a guy named Tim keeps following me around. He keeps looking over at Romeo. I guess he was told to keep an eye on me, but he just has to watch while I go back and forth between the beer cooler and a good corner I found. Yo, are you good? Careful, Tim. Across the yard, Joe's father finally walks off and steps inside the sliding door. And then he's gone for 12 minutes, so I wait, surrounded by all these firefighters. So, uh, aren't you guys a little too young to be firefighters? Nah, we're volunteers. In Roslyn, you can volunteer in high school. 
Ah, very cool. I've never felt so old. I can't believe college was just three years ago. Romeo finally steps out, waves me in. He nods his head to the door, so I rush across the lawn. So, you got to talk to the boys? Uh, yeah, they seem great. Yeah, they're an amazing bunch of kids. This town stands on their shoulders. You know, I used to be an administrator for Rosalind Highfields, and that is the most fan-fucking-tastic fire department. They don't just save lives. That is a community. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. Uh, yeah, that's so important. So, let's go upstairs. I'll introduce you to Joe. I walk close behind Romeo, through the empty house. There are cans and cups all over the place, bunched up dirty napkins. I walk through a hallway with photographs on the wall, photos of Joe, and the photos are in order. First it's Joe as a baby, then Joe as a toddler. And there's one picture that catches my attention. In the photo it's Joe, barely a child, holding a gun, a rifle. Bigger than her body, she could be eight years old. She's smiling. Her father is standing beside her, proud. Romeo looks at me. I look back. So do you hunt? I lie. Yeah, a bit. And he nods. When she was up to here, like right up to here, just a little girl, she came to me and she said, Daddy, teach me how to shoot a gun. I want to be strong. <laughs> That's how little girls are. They think they can do everything already. So I take her to the gun range upstate and I went, See, you're not strong enough to shoot, are you? And she was crying because it was so difficult. And she said, no, I'll do it again. I'm going to be strong. When I'm stronger than you, you'll see. Wow. Yeah. Nearby, there's a case full of trophies. One trophy is a golden figure of a child holding a gun. As we move through the hallway, I watch Joe grow up. She's doing things that normal teenagers do. Sports, academics graduation. And there are photos of her in her firefighter uniform. In one image, she suited up, standing among several generations of her family, who smile proudly. But there's a glimmer in her eye that unsettles me. Something dangerous. None of these photos are that recent. They stop at high school graduation. I've never really seen what Joe looks like now. These two years later, after Alaska's death, her social media presence trickled to a stop. I've been studying a version of Joe that's outdated, so I'm wondering... Here we are. What's the new Joe like? Joe's room, dangling lights, inspirational quotes, Febreze lilac air freshener, a girl in a sequin sweater. Romeo introduces me. It feels like I'm supposed to bow. Like I've been scheduled to meet with royalty. So, Joe. Yes? I like your room. It's nice. Thanks, man. Yeah, so, uh, your cats are, like, scratching me and it oh, hurts. Sorry, bud. Minnie! Marlon! Minnie, come here, sweetie! Oh, now they're getting sassy. Hold on. Mr. Magaro, sir, if it's no trouble, maybe we could, you know, maybe me and Joe could talk one-on-one? -on -one. 
Now, all due respect, I don't let my daughter alone with private detectives. <laughs> <laughs> right. Gotcha. Uh, so, Joe, I'll be quick. Um, you were a witness at the scene of Alaska's death. Did you see any other witness after Alaska died? Maybe. I'd have to think about that one, Chief. You didn't see Emma? Oh, yeah. I did see Emma. Did you see Emma's hands? I might have. I'd have to think about it. You can think about that right now. Maybe you noticed something about her fingers. Yeah, I caught nothing. Let's, Let's give it a no. Did you notice anything about anyone else's hands? Nope. In that case, this is going to be difficult. We'll need to go through the full timeline of events, beginning with the 911 call. One second. Daddy, did you say it's time? It's three until. Fuck, we gotta go. Two of my cats are at bad kitty behavior camp and we're FaceTiming. If we don't FaceTime, the other cats panic. They go, oh my God, where's Samantha and Brimbleclaw? Are they dead? And then they eat my fucking lipstick because their brains are walnuts and chivalry does not exist in the cat world. See, I told you. That's what you get for having so many dumbass cats. And I love them all, Daddy. God knows they don't deserve it. Brain dead little cunts. Detective, I'll walk you to the door. Can we uh, maybe reschedule for another day? Come on. Or- I always say that life is our heaven, but sometimes, between you and me, heaven feels a lot like hell. No! (sighs) Moving on, we're flipping to our next suspect. Suspect four, Emma Wooten, female, four feet, 11 inches, 89 pounds. I hear Emma's small in stature and in spirit. I'm like a, I'm um, at school and popular in like a different way. Emma doesn't want to talk right now. I'm popular. Um, I'm unique. People are intimidated by me. I'm popular, but I'm psychiatric hospital after threatening to kill her mother with a steak knife. When asked why she did it, she replied, I saw a woman on TV hug her baby. I never felt so lucid in my life. On my way to Emma's place, I spot her car just by coincidence. It's a beat-up Mercedes-Benz with a trash bag covering its most broken window. 
So I tail Emma's car for a couple blocks before I see her pull into a strip mall by the bay. Being a PI doesn't let you act like a cop, and it doesn't let you heck above the law, but it does allow you surveillance. So I follow Emma across the parking lot and she ducks her head into the Cactus Cafe. It's the only place in the county that serves dinner after nine. If you show up late, burritos are five bucks. Oh, hey, what's cracking? When I enter, Emma's in line for her $5 burrito, and she's talking to someone, and then I realize who it is. It's Jeremy Goldberg, our other suspect. I guess. Suspect 3, Jeremy Goldberg. Although among friends, he goes by Logan. Why he went from Jeremy to Logan is completely unclear to me. Male, 5 feet 11 inches, 156 pounds. Most days, Jeremy is charming and sociable. His collars are popped and his hats are on backwards. But he's been known to take a lot of hobbies. Everything from Dungeons and Dragons to knitting to rapping. God is my witness. I love God. God is my witness. I love God. God is in the birds and the trees. So he wears a lot of hats. Folks say Jeremy reads the room. Then he decides how to best make people smile and laugh. In high school, Jeremy was called a mischief maker. You could even call him a bully. All right, party people. Who wants to do body shots? This is the library. You can't... Speak now or forever hold your peace. I object. (gasps) Ladies and gentlemen, the bride is several raccoons stacked on top of one another. (laughs) I'm just fucking with you. This is fun. We're having fun. Logan. Do you have anything to say to the people? Happy 9-11. What the fuck? Jeremy spent a lot of lunch periods with the school guidance counselor, but he would tell you he wasn't bullying anyone. He was playing around or having fun. Jeremy also has an incredibly high pain tolerance. In a 2017 Facebook Live at the back of a classroom, Jeremy recorded himself biting his tongue till he was bleeding just to cope with boredom. In 2018, Jeremy was picked up in an empty parking lot and hospitalized after punching a brick wall until his skin peeled off. One teacher expressed remorse that Jeremy, in his adult life, has not pursued therapy. And there I am, stumbling into a conversation between Jeremy and Emma, suspects three and four, in the middle of a cactus cafe. Judging by the awkward small talk, they bumped into each other by coincidence. And it seems like they haven't talked in years. And then Emma says this. I'm still in love with you! Jesus fucking Christ! Uh, (laughs) ma'am... I have no idea what to do with this weird energy. Thank you, I think. Damn. Um, so then, do you, do you not? And then, of all the things that could happen in that Cactus Cafe at 10.15 p.m. on a Thursday, 
It turns out to be Trivia Night. I have no idea what you're saying. Jesus fucking Christ! Everybody grab your friends! Grab your friends! Yeah! Trivia Night is about to get started! Trivia! I watched her go down in slow motion. Her eyes glazed over. The woman at the corner yelling about trivia. It looks like Jeremy's about to catch her. But then he reconsiders. And he just lets her fall rear first onto the cold marble. Sometimes heaven really does feel like hell. Is, is she okay? Oh, is she okay? What? Oh, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Excuse me, pardon me. We need to lie her down flat, all right? We need to lie her down flat. I know first aid. We bring Emma outside right away. Cactus Cafe was too cramped, so we don't have a choice. It's not the worst thing. I figure she could use some fresh air, and we're able to lie her down out in the grass. I'm having Jeremy help me, but he doesn't seem too happy about it. Is she good? Don't, don't, don't kick her. That wasn't a kick. That was a nudge. I nudged her with my foot. It's called a nudge, Mr. Everything's a kick, man. Can you elevate her legs for me? We want blood flow to her brain, basically. Legs. Legs. <laughs> yeah, what? Legs. Yep, those are someone's legs for sure. Oh, you seem pretty casual with someone fainting in front of you. What? What do you mean by that? Are you calling me a, a douche? Hey, 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 I I didn't mean anything. This girl's kind of like weird, dog. I guess I, I guess she's not a girl. Young woman. Hmm? Maybe Jeremy and Emma really are meant for each other. They're both nut jobs. This this is a good sound. Good beat. Ooh. I I could rap to this. Jeremy says while smacking him his feet together like cymbals. Please don't rap. Can you stop hitting her legs together? Hey, don't touch your sexual though. I kinda hate this chick, but your ass will get kicked. No 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 no, no 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 no. I'm untightening her belt to help her blood flow. That makes sense. That makes sense. But I'm watching you. You pull anything, and I will beat your guts. I'll use this unconscious person's body as a weapon. Pa-pow! That threat's disturbing enough. I figure I'll avoid conversation with Jeremy for now. At least he has some good priorities, though. What's going on? Emma! I mean... Hey, uh... How are you doing, Miss? Emma slowly opens her eyes, and she looks out of it like she's half asleep. A hot man. What? 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 
You passed out from shock, I think. How are you feeling? Mmm, hungry. This has gotta be my blood sugar. All, all good, just gotta pass out sometimes. Happens all the time. The world's purple, which is cool. You gotta take better care of yourself than that. Hey, can you run to the stop and shop and grab her some food? I'll pay you back. Yeah, I guess. Ugh. Get me the saltines. I want the saltines. <laughs> He's already gone. Oh. If you uh, think about it, He's a servant to me. Right now, he's doing my bidding and stuff in the grocery store. I guess he is. How awake are you right now? Because it seems like you're asleep. He's in love with me. <laughs> That's beautiful. Nice. I'm happy for yep. you. Yep, yep. I've actually got a question for you. What's up? You were there the night that Alaska died, right? No. Yes. Uh, yes. Okay, so did anyone have any cuts on their hands? Was anyone bleeding? Mm, Alaska was bleeding. My hands were on him. Your hands were on him? On Alaska? Yeah. We had the call with the man on the phone. It was 911. He told me where to put pressure and how to do compressions. It sounds familiar. I've heard this call before. <laughs> Ma'am, I need you to keep putting pressure on the wound. Ma'am. So much blood. The blood made my hands heavier, as in heavier by several pounds. It was too dark to see my hands, but then the police showed up. They shined their flashlights on us. It was fucked up. My hands were red. Isn't that fucked up? Yeah, that's fucked up. For sure. So no one else had cuts or blood on their hands? Just Alaska's blood was on your hands. I guess. I don't know. It was dark. Emma said her hands were weighed down by several pounds of blood. So that's not gonna be true. A thin coat of blood on her hands wouldn't weigh much. So either it's just that Emma's loopy and that comment's completely nonsense, or... The blood made my hands heavier has some kind of subtler meaning, and I have to figure out what it means. All right, Emma, I got you jelly beans. Think fast. Ow. Once Emma's lucid and able to walk and talk properly, we all go our separate ways. I try to ask Jeremy whether he saw anyone with a cut on their hand the night of the killing. But he's not eager to answer. Uh, I'm confused why you're asking. 
It's sort of like it's not your business, maybe? That info could help us solve Alaska's death. Yeah, that's not your business. Okay, I'm out of here. Come on, me! Days have passed. There's one more suspect we can look to for information. Boo and Glory will not be able to help us. So there's just one person who can. Bobby. Bobby York. There are times where I just feel like... Like I'm from a different world. Like I could be an alien. Like from another planet. Somewhere that just makes... More sense. I mean, I, I don't know if I'd call it a struggle per se. It's more like I, I, I look at the hand that I've still got and I get to thinking, um, like, is this mine? Like, is this really mine? Like, it, it, it can't be, right? I, I just feel like I'm from another planet out somewhere. Maybe, maybe at the same time. Suspect 2, Bobby York, male, 5 feet 8 inches, 164 pounds. Bobby's been giving me information about the other suspects, addresses, intel, contacts. He's my inside source. Why? We work at the same PI agency. He's an intern. He's also someone I trust. Bobby! Bobby, hey! Hey, Finn. Uh, I'm sorry, I almost just used your real name there. Let's go sit somewhere. So, I don't remember anything about the night that Alaska died. Uh, you know, it's, it's traumatic memory loss and all that. I'm sorry about that. <sighs> you know, it is what it is. Do you remember being in the hospital? True, true. I, I remember being in the hospital. And before that, I do remember you know, realizing that my hand was gone. You know, I was lying in the woods. I was screaming. <laughs> the night that Alaska died, Bobby suffered the permanent loss of his hand. Paramedics found him in the woods bleeding out of his wrist, with his left hand nowhere in sight. As with Alaska's death, we have no idea who did it. And why? Sitting with me at the train station today, Bobby's left hand is a prosthetic with metal joints and fingers. While he tells me about the night, he points to his wrist, the pale flesh connecting to the prosthetic. So you, you got bone here and like flappy skin over here. And, and then just, just blood and just blood. And I, I was almost dying. And, you know, losing your hand can kill you real fast. So, obviously I wanted to stop the bleeding, but I knew if I used, say, my shirt or something, I would straight up die of infection. So, so what I did was I stuck my whole wrist into my mouth. And, you know, that that wasn't great either, but the doctor said that it wasn't the worst idea, given my... the situation at the time. 
cool if I touch your wrist? It will be helpful if I could look at your injury. If I was injured and someone asked to touch my scars, I would feel really uncomfortable about it. Truly. You can answer however you like. No, do, don't even worry. You know, I, I'm fine with it. You go right ahead. Bobby brings his prosthetic hand towards me. Nothing about it is skin-colored. It's dark, silver, with exposed machinery. Every line and crease and scar on Bobby's wrist tells a story, a painful story. So much destruction was charted into him, and he'll be that way for the rest of his life. He'll be an old man with the same scars. I mean, it's not that bad. Uh, yeah, I can still feel it sometimes. I can still feel my hand, uh, you know, phantom sensations. It feels cold and wet, uh, it, like my hand is surrounded in stone. Bobby, you got a heck of a smile. I don't mean to be weird, I'm just saying, you do. You got a nice smile. But, but, but Bobby, how often do you honestly tell people that it hurts? It never hurts, man. And his smile trembles at the corners. I talk with Bobby for a little longer, and then I see him off. What's it like for Bobby? Waking up, feeling the same every day. How do you keep living when you know in some way or another your body's been stolen from you? There are a lot of books about just how aliens are all around us. And I, I think you just have to know that you're an alien. Like, certainly, I can tell. Like, I look down at my feet, and I'm definitely looking through a telescope at myself on another planet. It's the same whether I'm moving my right hand or whether I'm moving my prosthetic hand. It's just wires. Like, my real body is on another planet. It's in a test tube. It's watching me. Or, I, I guess, technically, I'm watching me. We won't be hearing from Suspect One. Suspect One is Boo Curtis. And Boo Curtis has not been responding to my emails or my messages. We won't be hearing from Suspect Zero, Glory Johnson since Glory's been missing for the past two years. Glory, come on! <laughs> Slow down! Today's Sunday, August 8th, 2021. Joe was evasive. Jeremy wouldn't cooperate. Emma was... I'd say the most helpful. But she seemed kinda... Unreliable? And Bobby doesn't remember. Boo won't answer my questions, and Glory disappeared like a long time ago. Might be dead. I mean, Boo apparently heard her in the woods, but I reported that to the police, and they didn't find her. It probably wasn't even her. I really... I just need to... I've been losing my cool. It's funny how much you can feel and not even know. I legitimately 
didn't even notice. I was just not paying attention. Everything was just getting so hard. I'm not even going to be able to do anything right if I'm getting frustrated. Even if I do get it right, at this rate, I'm not even going to enjoy that. I have an idea. And it's a great idea. My idea is to take a break. I watch the latest episode of Oprah. I take a walk. I go to an aquarium. I go hiking. I have a lovely picnic. I learn to play three Selena Gomez songs on guitar. It was great. I love Selena Gomez. Then, all in the middle of my lovely workout routine, it comes to me. Hospitalization! Oh, sorry. Hospitalization. I don't need to know everything right away. I can start out by checking which of the suspects took trips to the ER after the police arrived. The police would be obligated to allow the suspects proper care. So, I contact Shay. And they do have that information. Here it is. Alaska, Jeremy, Bobby, and Boo were all escorted to St. Francis Hospital with the help of the police. That's it. That's our starting point. Jeremy, Bobby, and Boo are our main suspects. Bobby was hospitalized for his cut-off hand, which doesn't take him off the list of suspects. He could have stabbed Alaska before his hand was cut off, or he could have managed to stab him with his non-dominant hand. As for Jeremy and Boo, we don't know what they were hospitalized for. Any of three of them could have committed Alaska's murder. We're just getting started. It's time for us to find out who killed Alaska. Shit! I forgot to send something in for work. Shit! God is in the birds and the trees. Yeah, uh, he sees what you see. recorded the ad break. Feeling it. They wanted this like an hour ago. Okay, so I'm just gonna record it now and I'm gonna record something real quick, okay? Do your thing! Uh, okay, okay, okay. Let's see. Uh. Are you done? Who killed Alaska ad episode three? Who killed Alaska? What's that? It's... It's about... Geography. Oh my lord, a real-life geographmologist. Right, uh... If you support us and what we do, help us. Go to our Patreon and donate. You might be the first person to become a patron. Every single dollar counts. I can't count, so hopefully he'll do that. <clears throat> Hold on, I'm feeling this. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash whokilledalaska. What are you doing? I'm giving you a beat. Go off, kid! Okay, well, stop it! Okay. Go to patreon.com slash whokilledalaska to help us create more content. And if you donate enough... I'll make pancakes and deliver them right to you. Ooh, hold on. 
There's a light shining on me from above. Go to patreon.com slash who killed Alaska. Ah, uh, not who killed Balaska. Ah, uh, he wants your money. It's not even funny. Look at him begging. And Emma's wearing leggings. Ah! We know you're donating to be kind and show all of your support. That's the report. But you'll also get rewards. Lots of new content, like foot rubs. <laughs> okay, this is too long. I'm done. Are you done? I probably won't be done for the next five minutes. <sighs> you can get big rewards, like hours of new content. Plus exclusive merchandise like stickers, mugs, or even special audio messages from the suspects of Who Killed Alaska. Donations start at $5. That's about the same as a cup of coffee from Starbucks. Go to patreon.com slash whokilledalaska now. Oh, to be a G-Graph malologist on Patreon. Welcome back to the credits. My name is Cameron LeBron, and I am the writer and director of Who Killed Alaska. Thank you so much for listening. This series is produced by the Ghost Factory, our small independent group. Now I'm going to tell you all about the wonderful people who put their hearts into this series. The editor for the script was Nicholas Harder, who does a beautiful job. The music for this episode was by me and... Thor Spieler. If you haven't figured it out already, this series does have a completely original soundtrack. We make it specially for the episodes and we try to incorporate the music very, very closely into these episodes and and the audio experience that we want to create there is so near and dear to our hearts. But... We do have some other featured artists in this episode as well. The theme song for Detective Files is Here Come the Raindrops by Reed Mathis. In the Cactus Cafe, you heard a deafening samba song through the speakers. That was opening song para Songo 21 by Songo 21. Another song featured in this episode is the instrumental version of Stopwatch by The Color Negative. Definitely go check out the original version with vocals of of the Stopwatch available on Spotify. Sound design for this episode was led by Cornelius Wilkening. Dankeschön. Sound effects for this episode were done by Avery Callahan, David Kaslow, and Andrew Tikonovich. Avery, to you, a very warm thank you, and to Andrew, a very warm spasiba. If I'm not completely botching that, I hope that you can understand what I'm saying. All of the beautiful ambiences were designed by Cornelius Wilkening, and the mix and master was done by Manis Kunder. You can check out Manis on Fiverr. Manis's Fiverr is Manis Kunder 7, M A N A S K U N D E R 7. Check him out. The beautiful podcast art was done by Bella Wynn, Locke Reinhardt, and Dorito Falls. Joe Magaro was played by Sally Roberts. Emma Wooten was played by Liz Mina. Logan Goldberg was played by Trent Trachtenberg. Bobby York was played by Kyle Vincent Parker. Boo Curtis was played by Alex Red. Glory Johnson 
was played by Lindsay Zana. And Finn Denver was played by Joseph Katembo. Other voices such as all the firefighters, the priests, uh, Tim, were supplied by a huge number of people. Mike Kinzer, Morgan Elgarden, Felix Bermudez, Julian Patrick Samant, Dakota West, Andrew J. Beck, Darcy Cole, Anna Kate Hall, and Lainey Davis. Thank you so much. And here's the big thing for you to remember. Okay, here's the big thing to know. Open up your calendar app. Open it on up. We're going to your calendar app. Your application for your calendar. We're going to it. I'm waiting. I'm expecting you to go to it. September 16th. That's when the next episode comes out. What? September 16th? I know that's that's what you're saying to me. You're yelling at me right now. September 16th? That's in a million years from now. You expect me to care on September 16th that you're releasing? Ow, I just hit my hand on something. <laughs> you're releasing a new episode? Yes. Yes, please do care. If you enjoyed this episode, you gotta, you know, please remember, please write down September 16th. It takes a lot of time and effort for us to put together these episodes. It, it, it's really, really uh, challenging. So... September 16th, write it down that's when episode 4 comes out and it will be beautiful and you will love it and you will say hey Cameron this was beautiful and I loved it good and I'll say yeah, I told you I told you you would love it it would be good and beautiful you would love it that's the end of the podcast goodbye